If you would turn now in God's holy word to Isaiah chapter 40, Isaiah 40, we're just going to be looking at a few verses uh, this morning, 27 through 31 of Isaiah 40, the God who gives wings to powerless and weary saints. This text is probably one of the favorites of many folk. I know it's a favorite of one man in this congregation. (laughs) He's already told me many times and uh, may God bless it as we work through it. But over the past few weeks, we have been looking at Isaiah chapter 40. Now, Isaiah, last week I wasn't necessarily clear, and I want to be clear. Isaiah ministered in the 8th century B.C. Roughly, Isaiah 6 is where he was called, and that's that's guesstimated to be around 740 B.C. That is 740 years prior to the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, here in chapter 40, in the power of the Holy Spirit, Isaiah is prophetically looking down, as it were, the corridor of history into the future, into the 6th century B.C., where the southern kingdom of Judah is going to be removed out of the land of Israel and taken into captivity in Babylon. And that happened in 586. The Babylonians came in and they destroyed and leveled the city. And in so doing, they took a remnant of Jewish people back to Babylon, where they would remain till about 538 B.C. With the decree of Cyrus, they were called to come back to their homeland. So the people of God are waiting, waiting for God to bring them home. You see, judgment is not God's final word. We said a couple weeks ago that, that judgment, according to Isaiah 29, is God's strange work. He judges, he's holy, and he's righteous, and he will judge the wicked. But Isaiah calls that his strange work. The Puritans would say it's the work of his left hand, where salvation's the work of his right hand, his, his Benjamin, if you will, his salvation to be shown to his people through his right hand. You see, God not only ordained the exile, he ordained the return. But as the people are anticipating this great return, this this mass exodus, if you will, back to Jerusalem, they're growing anxious. They're worrying. They're full of concerns. They begin to question God and his care. They're growing weary under the heavy hand of discipline. Doubting God's goodness. Has God forgotten me? Where is he? Where is this great redemption from Babylon he's promised? Well, today in verses 27 to 31, Isaiah answers the questions. Does God care? Does God care for me? Does he care for us? Does he care for his church? Does he hear Right? Does, does he who made the ears, can he hear? You know, that's something we used to say to our children all the time, right? He made ears. Well, surely he can hear. But sometimes, as Rick alluded to in his prayer, we don't feel it. We would never give voice to it because we're believers. We don't do that. We don't go there. Well, thankfully, the Word of God goes where we don't go. It scratches exactly where we itch. Does God care? Let's listen to his word. Isaiah chapter 40, 27 through 31. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God? 
Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives might or power to the faint. And to him who has no might or strength or vigor, he increases strength. You see, even youths, they shall faint and be weary. And and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait, hope, long for, look for, the Lord, the covenant Lord, Yahweh, shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the way that you address every area of our soul. All that we need for life in this veil of tears this present evil age, is given for us in the Word of God. And we have the Holy Spirit who walks with us, who abides in us, who bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God. So come now and bless your Word. Lift up the downcast and humble the proud, that you, Lord Jesus Christ, might be all in all, that everything that lives and breathes in all of creation would give you the praise and glory Do your name. May we make much of you this day and treasure you and prize you above everything. We pray in your holy name. Amen. The last line of William Cooper's hymn, William Cooper was a great friend of John Newton. He wrote the hymn, God Moves in Mysterious Ways. You know this hymn, right? We sing it here. Kathy plays it faithfully, force frequently. He says this in the last line, Blind unbelief is sure to err, scan his works in vain. God is his own interpreter, and he will make it plain. The temptation that we have when we're going through trials and difficulties is to become myopic, meaning nearsighted. We, 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 we get tunnel vision. And we start to dial in on just whatever that pain or trial or disappointment or struggle is. And everything else gets suffocated out of the room, so to speak. We lose perspective when we turn inward. When we try to make sense of providence. When we try to read the tea leaves of what's God doing here? (laughs) Surely he doesn't have my interest in mind here because it hurts so bad, right? Pain can't be a marvelous teacher, the hand of God can it, we think. Well, saints, when, when this happens, we, we lose sight of, of God's grandeur, his majesty, his beauty, his, his goodness, his, his gentleness, his sovereignty, We lose a a biblical perspective on God, and in so doing, we lose a a biblical perspective on ourselves, you see. And not only on ourselves, but on the situation we're trying to ascertain and discern exactly what's going on. 
You see, in the Christian life, it can often seem as if God is playing hide-and-go-seek with you. When you're a kid, that's fun. It's not so fun when you're middle-aged <laughs> or you're a 30-something or a 20-something or a 12-year-old or a 8-year-old or a 90-year-old. It seems as if God has left you. At least you feel he has. But this, too, is not foreign to the child of God in the word of God. Psalm 10.1, why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Why? Psalm 89.46, how long, O Lord, will you hide yourself forever? I'm done playing hide and go seek. I quit. I'll be found. I hear, hear him. The exiles here in Isaiah 40 are feeling the same way. They're saying the same thing. How long will you hide yourself from me? Perhaps they're beginning to think that God doesn't love them. He, he stopped caring. John Knox is very helpful here. Of all people, you would think, Pastor, you're going to quote John Knox? Yeah, I'm going to quote John Knox. He says this. John Knox is helpful because he's commenting on, on how Satan first drew Adam and Eve into sin. And how did he do it? Knox says, Scripture doth witness. Satan did pour into the hearts that poison that God did not love them. If God really loves you, Adam, then he'd have given you every tree, and he already had, but he wouldn't have put this prohibition on this one tree, this, this one tree of testing of the knowledge of good and evil. He's forbidding you to eat from that tree because he doesn't have your best interests in mind, Adam. He doesn't want you to use the, the apropos word today, flourish. He wouldn't have kept you from eating the tree. You see, and what happens is Adam begins to think to himself and he, well, yeah, maybe, maybe he's right. We forget that all the other trees have been given to Adam to eat freely of. There was just one prohibition. But see, that's what happens when trials and testing comes. We become myopic. We become tunnel vision. And you know what usually helps is when another saint comes along. I had to have it this week in my own life. And they, they come and they almost like grab you by the lapel and go, don't you see the other trees? Do you see the trees, the fruit trees? See the orchards, those fat peaches, Georgia peaches? See those plums? See those oranges? Don't they look good? Those apples? Man, they look great. But we get tunnel vision. We start to question God and question his heart toward us and his concern for us. So let's look at this text as we answer this question, does God care? Because that's what the people are wondering. The problem, the provision, and the promise. The problem is unbelief, to put it bluntly. Unbelief, verse 27. Isaiah comes by the Spirit and foresees a day when the exiles, having been in Babylon for some time, for many years, 
are struggling in faith to believe God. To believe God's goodness. Now, right, the context here is they're a thousand miles away from home. So picture yourself away from your RVA, your beloved home. And you've been exiled a thousand miles away. And it seems as if the covenant Lord is nowhere to be found. You see, the people are heavy laden and weary. They're in Babylon, but Emmanuel seems to have remained in Jerusalem. Where's the covenant Lord? He's back there in Jerusalem. I'm here in Babylon. I'm having a hard time connecting (laughs) what's going on here. He's nowhere to be found. You see, heaven's ears are closed off. God doesn't seem concerned. They begin to grumble among themselves. Look at verse 27. Look at the complaint. They start to grumble. Kind of like the children of Israel in Egypt, right? Brought out into the wilderness. Remember when we had those, those pickles and the garlic back in Egypt? Remember how great that was? That was a five star. Notice what they say here in the 6th century B.C., there in Babylon. Why do you say or or keep on saying the Hebrew verb is in the present? O Jacob, and speak, you keep on speaking, O Israel. My way is hidden. My way is concealed. It's out of sight of the Lord. My right or my just cause is disregarded or passed over by my God. Saints, it's not that they were not praying. You you get the sense that they're bringing their petitions and supplications to God, but it seems as though God is hiding his face. He's disregarding them. He's put them over to the side. He's got other matters to concern himself with. Or so it seems. That's the place. That's the plot. That's where the lines have fallen for them in the text. Maybe, just maybe, there's someone here this morning who can relate to what the Word of God is describing here. Maybe they find themselves in a similar providence, a life situation, life station. Life's not turned out the way you'd hoped. Your dreams have been dashed against the the rocky shoal of reality. Dreams are not what they... Make themselves out to be. Maybe it's a marriage. You thought marriage was going to be the placebo, the answer to all your problems, to your loneliness. That's with one another. Perhaps it's a financial matter. Maybe things are not going well with you. Maybe you're having hard times. A lot of people are in this economy today, struggling. Maybe, just maybe, some of us have rebellious children. Aren't walking with Jesus. Pastor, you speak about this covenant God that I will be your God and the God of your children. Okay. Let's see it. Maybe it's chronic health problems, right? You're like the woman who had the issue of blood for 12 years. She spent all she had. And the medical community could do nothing for her. Church, the people in the word of God They're real. 
they're, they're not fabricated animatic, uh, animated people. They're, they're not cardboard cutouts. They, they have real struggles. And they ask the question that you ask, where is God? He's hidden himself from me, the Lord has. He's disregarded my cause and my right. He's nowhere to be found. Now, some of what you're going through is perhaps your own making, right? Maybe you've made some sinful, unwise choices. But some or most of what you are going through is no fault of your own. You had no control over, right? Like Job. Don't you love Job? I'm glad Job's in the word of God. What was God's verdict regarding Job? Well, let me tell you. Chapter 1, verse 8, Satan. To and throw throughout the earth, right? Roaming like a lion. He comes before the altar, the, the, the throne of God. And God says to Satan, how about my servant Job? He's blameless and upright. He fears God and shuns evil. There's no one like him. So it might not be of your own doing where you find yourself today. And if you're not there today, this 58-year-old man with everything in my being promises you you will be there one day if you walk with God. If you know God. You feel as though you're doing everything you can just to tread water and keep your neck above the water line because it's 15 feet plus. And you're just paddling <laughs> the next breath. You haven't stopped praying, but it sure seems as though God is on sabbatical. Your cause and your right is not being heard by the Almighty. And you're asking yourself, where's God in all this? You're tired of the platitudes of well-meaning but misinformed folks who throw around Bible verses like Romans 8.28. Don't you hate that? They throw it around like you throw around confetti. Oh, all things work together for good. Right, throwing it around like that. It's like, like putting a Band-Aid on your femoral artery when you're bleeding out, right? I mean, <laughs> thanks a lot. A uh, tourniquet might be preferable here. The question haunts you. You can't shake it. Has God forgotten me? And, and rather than look out in faith to Christ, you fall prey to the devil by looking within. That's what I do. That's how stupid I am. You become intrinsic rather than extrinsic, right? You, you look within for answers rather than out to the God who is. Like Adam, you fall to temptation and you begin to judge the Lord by feeble sense. And you sit there in the dark night of the soul and you say to yourself, my way is hidden from the Lord. He has no regard for my cause. 
And you find yourself asking God to vindicate him. And you thought only unbelievers do that. Right? Believers don't ask questions, do they, Miles, of theodicy? We can't do that. We can't seek to, to seek the vindication of God's justice and goodness and the problem of evil, can we? Can a Christian wrestle with that? I thought we attended that in, in kindergarten, elementary school with God. He, Satan comes along and he whispers in your ear, God doesn't love you. He doesn't love you. If, if he did, he wouldn't be putting you through all this pain. All this hardship, all this disappointment, all this wrestling with God, all these questions that go unanswered. You see, how quick we forget, though, beloved, that God had only one son who did not sin, but he doesn't have any who don't suffer. Well, it's in these wrong and idolatrous thoughts about God that we begin to go astray. You see, these thoughts do not have their genesis with God. They don't begin with God in his revelation of what he said in, in this marvelous book. You know where those thoughts begin? They begin in the sinful heart of the man, the woman, the boy or girl. They begin within, not without. All of this leads us to doubting his wisdom, his immensity, his uniqueness, his sovereign goodness. Well, how does Isaiah address this idolatrous unbelief? This is unbelief of Christians. These are Christians who are doubting the goodness of God. This is not the atheist or the secularist. This is the child of God asking this question. Have you forgotten me? He's hiding from me. Well, notice how Isaiah answers their unbelief. He goes right after the idol of unbelief. And what does he do? Does he bring uh, crafty words and wisdom? No. You know who he does? You know what he does? He puts before idolatrous unbelief the God who is. God himself is his own provision. The problem's unbelief. The provision God gives the people is himself. For God to give you any other thing other than himself would be idolatry. God gives you himself. He speaks into the pain and he says, I am your God. Notice what he does. Verse 28. The questions, they keep coming. Have you not known? Have you not heard the Lord, the covenant Lord, is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth? He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is insearchable. You see, he grabs them. He shakes them by the lapel from their stupor. And he says, you already know the answers to these questions. He 
caused them to look up and out to the God who is, not the God of their vain imaginations. He challenges their idolatrous unbelief with the revelation of who God has revealed himself to be. He takes them to the word of God. Like Luther took Erasmus. Luther told Erasmus this, your thoughts of God are too human, Erasmus. They're too small. Notice what he does. He gives us four things. First, our God is the everlasting God. Unlike us who are finite and time-bound, God is eternal. He's equally present to all points of time. The covenant Lord does not hide himself, nor does he disregard his people or their cries. Now, it may seem that way to us in our experience, because that's surely what it seemed to them. Right? It's true that a frowning providence might hide his smiling face from your Christian experience, but the fact remains he is there. He is the Lord. You see, his purposes will ripen fast. They unfold every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower for the child of God. Not only is he the everlasting God, notice he is our God, the creator of everything. All the ends of the earth are his. There are no rogue molecules to God. Think about that. All that is belongs to him. Anywhere life may take us, whether it be exile or to the new Jerusalem, from the ICU to the valley of the shadow of death, our creator, get this, he's already there. He is with us, never to leave us nor forsake us. Thirdly, our God is all-powerful. The saying goes, getting old is not for sissies, right? We know this, those of us who are older. You go out and you work in the yard. That evening or the next morning, you, you wake up and, and you have pains in parts of your body that you didn't even know existed just 24 hours prior. Not with God. He's weariless. He's the weariless God. He's the faintingless God. He's the everlasting God. He neither slumbers nor sleeps. He doesn't grow weary. He's immutable. He's the all-powerful, unchanging, eternal creator of the ends of the earth. Fourthly, our God is all-wise. Isaiah says his understanding is unsearchable. And I thought to myself, as I was meditating on the text this day, and I thought, why would he say this? Why would he say it's unsearchable, his understanding? You know why? Because they're weary. They're trying to make sense of it. They're trying to connect the dots. In Providence, well, this is happening because of this, right? We're, we're playing a fool's game, right? We're trying to connect things that God has not given us the purview, the pay grade to connect. The secret things belong to the Lord, but the things he's revealed belong to us and our children. But we're always wanting to go into the secret things of God. 
That's what I love doing. That's what you love doing. That's what the heart of man loves to do, to try to figure it out, to master it. But his thoughts are not our thoughts. Isaiah 55, 8, 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts your thoughts. Rest. You can rest in that. You see, the problem comes when we begin to question God and his ways with us. We want to try to discern and interpret God's thoughts. Beloved, this was the problem of Job's friends. Do you remember Job's friends? They were wonderful friends for the first week. You know why? Because they sat with Job and they kept their mouth shut. They didn't give them, that, you know, the t-shirt with Romans 8.28. Life is bewildering. It's enigmatic. It's perplexing. But it isn't to God. Benjamin Morgan Palmer, right? Faithful minister, Southern Presbyterian. I don't know that I'm quoting it correctly, but he says something along these lines, and it's always stuck with me. If there was a better providence than the one you are currently in, if there was a better providence than the one you're currently in, your gracious God would have given it to you. You're exactly where God wants you to be this morning. Think about that. Well, I've got pancreatic cancer. Oh, you're exactly where God wants you to be. Well, Pastor, you don't, you don't understand. I, I, I've just buried my wife of 50 plus years. Oh, you're exactly where God wants you to be. You, your, your children aren't all that you thought they would be. He has you exactly where he wants you to be. Beloved, God knows what he's doing. You see, we don't live by explanation right? So often we think we do, right? If I only had the right explanation, all is going to be well. That's not what the Word of God says. Pastor Sloan knows this. We don't live by explanations, but this is what we live by, by every single word that proceeds from the mouth of the living God. We live by promise. We live by promise, by things unseen, for the things that are seen are temporal. They're ephemeral. They're a mist. They're gone. On the last day, they'll all be gone. Saints, we submit to God with the nail-scarred hands. Well, we've seen the problem, right? Idolatrous unbelief. We've briefly looked at the provision Nothing less than God himself and his attributes. He just continues to pound the people with who God is because that's their solution. Thirdly, the promise. Wings and strength for the weary, verses 29 to 31. Derek Kidner, a great 
commentator, Old Testament, particularly in the Psalms, I would recommend you have that at your bedside. If you want a great commentary on the Psalms, it's very accessible. Christopher Ashe or Derek Kidner, write those two things down, two names down. They'd be great for you. But Kidner says this. He says, the wrong inference we make when we think about God's greatness and his attributes, right, his creator, everlasting, his power, his wisdom, is that God is too great to care, right? He's so transcendent that surely he can't care about hairs on heads and sparrows in trees, right? That's just hyperbole. Beloved, that's exactly what the children of Israel were doing in verse 27, that God was too great to care. Kidner says, God is so great, the right inference is that God is too great to fail. He's too great to fail. Not one of his promises has ever failed and never will. He's sworn and he's made a covenant. He's sealed it with the blood of his own son. He's too great to fail. Notice how he loves to share himself. Not with just anyone though. Notice he doesn't share himself with the self-sufficient. So if this morning you're independent, you're rugged, you're autonomous, you pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, I got nothing for you. I got nothing for you this morning. And you know who else has nothing for you? God. He resists what? The proud, but draws near to the humble. Notice what he delights to do. He shows himself strong to save, not the self-sufficient, but with the one who is weak, self confessed weakness you see the gentle savior will not pass by blind Bartimaeus everyone else in the entourage going through Jerusalem wants to pass by blind Bartimaeus we've got things to do we've got a kingdom to establish in Jerusalem the king is coming son of David son of David he kept pleading 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 oh gentle savior pass me not Bartimaeus, you know what? He's calling you. He wants you to come see him. He hears your cries. He's not hiding from you. He's not disregarding your cause and your right. He's right there. You see, it's the Bartimaeus is of the world that he shows himself strong. He delights to show himself Strong to save. His power is made perfect in weakness. You see, that's why so many of us don't know what Isaiah is speaking of or, or 90% of the Psalter is speaking about because we're so self-sufficient. So it's like this foreign thing. When we read the Psalter, we go, I don't know any, very much about that. If we would rend our hearts, rip them, search me and try me, O oh God, and know me, then we might know him. We might walk with him. We might experience this. It's not pleasant to be that place where he's playing hide and go seek. But in hindsight, you wouldn't trade it for the world. 
End of life, you're going to get, well, I wish he wouldn't have played hide and go seek. No, you know what he does when he plays hide and go seek? He's weaning you. He's treating you as a son, as a daughter, to wean you from self-reliance. Whether that's reliance on your own aptitudes, your own abilities, or your financial situation and station of life, or your strength, your parents' strength, which is all vain, we're going to see in just a moment. But the all-wise creator says in verse 29, he gives power to the faint and to him who has no might, he increases strength. It's the fainting, it's the weaklings who find in Christ an able and willing savior. Those crushed by life's disappointments and burdens, the Lord gives ongoing and increasing strength. You see, the whole history of the church, from Genesis 1 through to right now in this moment, God has always been the one who's been the strength of his people. He's always the one who shows up. And when does he show up? When the Red Sea is right there before you and the Egyptians are hot on your tail and there's no place else to look, all the resources are gone and you're saying, God, you must save and save alone. Barak, Gideon, Samson, and others were told in Hebrews 11 were made strong out of what? Their MBAs, they were so coy, so bright, so intelligent. No, in their weakness. You see, our God is in the business of giving power to the weary saint who has no might. Well, today, maybe you're sitting there and you're under 30 or you're 30 and just over it. You're young, you're strong, you're independent, you're self-reliant. But you don't sense this. Look at verse 30. To the young people, look at verse 30 today. All my young people, look at 30. Even young youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall and be exhausted. You see, strength is like beauty. It's fleeting. You know, when I first came here, I had hair. It wasn't never great hair, but I had it. Foolish, vanity, fleeting. You see, children, you live long enough, you come to see people come into the world wearing diapers, and you come to see people wearing them when they die. I've seen it both, on both ends. You will wear diapers one day <laughs> if you live long enough. You will be in a diaper. So it is with us. All our glory is like grass, like the bloom of flowers. The glory is soon gone. Well, beloved, what do you have to do to receive this strength, this renewal? How, how do you get this? How do you tap into it? What do you have to bring, right? It's like going over someone's home for dinner. They ask you, well, they invite you over, and you are a nice southern person. Been right, well, what can I bring? Well, I'm happy to bring the dessert. I'm happy to bring the bread, the, the salad. What, what, what do you need me to bring? Well, God, God, the triune God, the living God, not the idols of your imagination, not the idols outside these doors in the world, God is saying to you, you can come to my feast without money, 
without cost, and you can come and you can buy and you can eat that your soul may live. He doesn't need you to bring anything. It's all of his doing. So this morning, if you're young, lay down your fleeting strength. If you're old, lay down your imagined strength. The best of us can contribute absolutely nothing. Nothing. That's the offense. But ironically, paradoxically, it's also the medicine. You can contribute nothing, and you know what? You don't have to. It's on his dime. It's all of God. All of God. He doesn't share his glory with you. You're you're wonderful people. I love you. I pray for you. Not as much as I should, but I do. But it's on his dime. All we have to do is what? Verse 31, wait. Notice who gets this strength, this renewing strength, right? He takes our weariness and he gives us his strength. Notice verse 31. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. This word wait can be translated hope, look for, Long for trust. Waiting is not something most of us are very good at. We're doers. We want to get it done. We want to take control of the situation. We want to make all the pain go away before God has used pain as his master teacher. Don't we? Let's just shake our heads, yeah? Who likes pain? Not me. We want to circumvent the pain. We parent that way sometimes too. We're afraid of pain and pain being the marvelous instructor that it is. Well, our children, we don't want our children to have pain. What did I hear recently? I read it in the preface of a book. It wasn't even a Christian book. I think it was just a a novel I was reading. It was uh, pain is is the, the marvelous professor, but no one wants to sign up for his class. But if we would soar with eagles, run and not be weary and walk and not faint, we must learn to wait, to be still and know. Now this waiting, like we've alluded to, is not idleness. It never is. It involves patiently waiting on God's timing. It's a longing for, it's a thirst for God. It's a confidence that God has me. I don't know what tomorrow's going to bring, but I know who has tomorrow, and I know who has me. And his ways with me have been faithful and just all my days. So surely tomorrow is going to work out for me. He has the situation in my life under control. So I'm not exactly where I thought I'd be, but I'm exactly where God wants me to be. It's exactly what Simeon was doing in Luke chapter 2. We're told there, remember that? Remember Simeon, the old man, the 80-plus-year-old man? He's waiting for the consolation of Israel. He's waiting for comfort, comfort ye my people, saith your God. You remember that man? 
He's decrepit. His skin is hanging. He's got more age spots than he doesn't have. He takes the child into his arms as he waits for the consolation. And you know what? This old ancient man barely could walk. He soars. He's running and he's not growing weary. He's walking with God and he's not fainting because he's learned to wait on God. He's waiting on God to be God, to be all that he said he would be and is. You see, growing up in Jesus is learning to wait to have every other confidence weaned from our lives, to cast our cares utterly on the mercy and grace of Christ and Christ alone. Then and only then, if you want to mount up with wings like eagles, you want to rise above the circumstances of life, you want to soar on that upward warm air above the clouds with the eagles on the James River. I see them every now and then. They take off from the rocks. They just... Have you ever been near enough to one to hear it? It's awesome. The wings go out. They rise up and they soar. Everything beneath them is confusion, chaos. But they're above the clouds in the stillness, that warm air. They're soaring above all the disappointments, all the questions, all the sickness. All the confusion. Simeon did that. Do you know of what I speak of? We saw the problem. Our biggest problem this morning, the same one that was with Adam in the garden. Unbelief. Hath God said. You're doubting it. That's what causes and creates the idolatrous thoughts in your heart because you look within rather than without to God and what he's revealed in his word. But God comes in a preacher. He came to the people in Isaiah. And Isaiah puts before the people God. God's his own solution. He's his own answer. He's everything. He's the everlasting God. He's the creator of the ends of the earth. He's immense. He's eternal. He's for you. He spared not his own son for you. Will you not trust him? Will you not entrust your life to him? Will you not learn to wait upon him? That you might run and not grow weary. You might walk and not faint. So everything extraordinary he calls you to do when you run the race of this life, you might run it to win it with excellence. And then when you're plotting, right? So much of the Christian life is just plotting, isn't it? It's just Monday morning. Being faithful today. Endeavoring each and every day to live for him. Not rocket surgery. Pray for me. I know what I said. Do you know what I said? Pray for me. Church, don't you want to soar 
above the fray, above the chaos, the insanity, the nihilism, the craziness, the whackness, the wokeness of this world, then wait on the Lord, the God who is. Ask him to search your heart, to destroy the idols in your heart, right? Love of money, flesh, success, whatever that is for you. Disappointment. You know, we can become pity partiers. That can become an idol. Yeah, I can do that. I can make an idol out of pity party. That's how wicked my heart is. That's why we need the word of God. Where will we be without this word? Hellbound. Without hope, without God, but God. That's our song, but God. Let's pray and ask this blessing. Father, we thank you for your holy word. We thank you that it's sufficient for all of life, what we are to believe and what duty you require of us. Father, we believe, help our unbelief. Be glorified. Give us your spirit that we might make much of Jesus. That he might be the pearl of great price in our heart. That we would be willing to sell all that we have to have him. To have him is to have everything. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Teach us, Jesus, we pray in your holy name. Amen.